Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good Wednesday morning to you. To almost stop and think what day of the week it is. It is Wednesday. You're welcome along to the programme as we head into a lockdown five. Uh, level five kicks in at midnight tonight. John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls at 1850-333-103. You can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. We are still catching up with a number of questions and queries that came in yesterday to the programme about level five. And I can already see some more questions coming in this morning. We'll do our best. Uh, if we don't have the answer, then we'll try and find out for you because people are just looking for clarity because life once again will become very different from midnight tonight. On the farmers markets, there was a number of questions in about that uh, yesterday. Farmers markets that wholly or principally offer food for sale, they are allowed to remain open. And Mary is wondering that now that we're going back into level five, will the pensions be going back to every two weeks? Because I'm open to correction, but it's from this week, isn't it, that the pensions return to weekly. We're going to get it checked. We'll get on to the department. My gut tells me it'll stay weekly because when it was announced last week or the week before that they were going to revert back to the weekly payments they did say to people if you prefer to pick up your pension every two weeks feel free to do that because once your pension goes into the post office you have 90 days to collect it so if it doesn't suit for people to go out physically to the post office every week they can leave it and collect it the following uh, week every two weeks or even every uh, three weeks but we will get it checked for you Mary but as far as we know the pensions are reverting to weekly payments as and from it's either this week or next week. I'll get that uh, clarified as well. And Anne says, Morning Patricia, are insurance offices included as essential services under Level 5? My car insurance is out the end of October, uh, says Anne. Yes, insurance companies, they fall in under financial and legal activities and so therefore financial services, insurance services, banking services, which of course includes the post office and the credit union, they all remain open. So if you need to get your car insured no problem at all. You'll be able to get onto your insurance company. And someone else says, Patricia, hi, are recycling centres in Cork opening during lockdown? They are. The last time they closed during lockdown and we had a 
huge scramble for people who were cleaning out gardens and cleaning out sheds and doing cleanups at home and lots of people had items that they wanted to bring to the civic community site and they were very disappointed to discover the civic community sites uh, were closed and and I think such was the demand for them that it was one of the reasons that they opened them up um, sooner than what I imagined that they'd planned to do but this time round no they are leaving the civic community sites open the normal hours and as I say to any, anyone if you're going to your local civic community site go online first and check the times that your civic community site and the days that your civic community site uh, are open because once upon a time when we had all of our civic community sites they were open six well five and a half days a week weren't they and then of course they had to reduce because of cutbacks to staff within the council they had to reduce the hours of opening at civic community sites and there's nothing more disappointing than loading up a car the boot of the car or a trailer and you get out your civic community site to discover it isn't opened on that day so I always say to people uh, check in advance and someone else is wondering is dog grooming essential or non-essential Again, like the last time, it becomes an essential service if it is for an animal rights issue. The dog is, is in is in pain in some way. Uh, but I mentioned this yesterday. You can't just bring your dog along, dog along to the groomers every Saturday because you want your pooch smelling and looking nice. But if it's a, a case of it's an animal rights issue for the animal itself, you should be OK. But again, with any of those type of services, I always say to people, give your dog groomer a ring. I know they're probably inundated with calls or send a quick text message to find out for sure rather than turning up and then discovering that they are closed. And a question that we, and there's still more coming in on the same theme about gardeners. Are gardeners allowed to work? Yes, they come in under the horticulture and agriculture uh, section. They are allowed to work. Again, that's a difference to the last lockdown where they weren't allowed, gardeners weren't allowed to go to work, but they are allowed to go to work at this time. Uh, So that's why I think when I was chatting with Simon on his programme before 10, I think this one is going to be, this lockdown is going to feel a little bit different to the last uh, lockdown because certainly there are more, there will be more people at work this time and the big difference of course this time round is all the schools are open, they all closed under the initial lockdown but certainly there will be more businesses and services open but also I think this time local businesses will have some kind of an online presence and I think a lot of local businesses will certainly be doing click and collect that they weren't doing the last time just to keep themselves in business, to keep the wolf from the door over the next six weeks so that when we please God get to the 1st of December and we can get back up and running particularly for retail and for hairdressers and beauticians and all of those other services that they'll be able to hit the ground running and get straight back into business but you know check in with local retail you know your local shops and businesses to see if during the next six weeks you may still be able to buy items from them through a, a click and collect or maybe they'll do it through courier or they'll, they'll do it through the post because I think more than ever more than ever we need to be supporting local businesses this time around. Uh, morning Patricia this is some of your WhatsApps are coming into us. Uh, morning, Patricia. Well, we are looking to begin another lockdown and we're all just hoping that this will stop the virus. But again, this has been brought upon us by the selfishness of a few who are not and have not done what was requested of them. So the many will suffer for the selfish 
few. This is always down to human behaviour. But businesses, of course, will also suffer. Jobs will be lost. And then you'll have people complaining because they'll have no jobs to go to. Everyone, we just need to copper cells on. But you are right. The majority of people, I think, have abided by all of the rules and the regulations and the restrictions. But it is the minority. And it it will always be the minority who will ruin it uh, for so many. And of course, the big news story, I suppose, today, in advance of us heading into level five, is that Gardaí will be able to issue €1,000 fines to people holding house parties. This is under new rules that are being considered today by the Cabinet. People found to be holding any kind of illegal gatherings, and i.e. they're talking about house parties, could also go to prison for anything up to six months. The new laws will provide for a €1,000 fine or one month in prison for hosting a house party. That's for a first offence. If you're caught a second time, it'll be €1,500 or three months in uh, prison. And if you do it a third time, then it will be a €2,500 fine and six months in prison. Gardaí will also be given the powers to stop people from entering house parties or any kind of an indoor gathering, any of which are banned under the government's COVID-19 restrictions. Now, they will not be legally permitted to enter a house. That still remains the same. But they will be able to issue fines to the occupier of the house where the illegal party is taking place. New fines will also be introduced for failing to wear face covering, be it on public transport, in shops. Now, they're also saying in gyms, swimming pools, museums and galleries, but gyms, swimming pools, museums and galleries for the next six weeks will be closed. But they're putting the powers in place for when we come out of uh, level five, any of the places where you're told you must wear a face mask, if you don't, the Gardaí will have the powers now to fine you. Fines will also be issued if you break the five kilometre travel restriction, where from midnight tonight you can go no further than five kilometres from your home, unless it is, of course, for essential reasons. The new legislation does not specify and it doesn't specifically set out fines for those breaches for the face coverings are for going outside your five kilometre. However, it has been suggested that it will be a €500 fixed charge notice and that's expected to be for not wearing the face covering or for breaching the travel restrictions. And that is quite a hefty fine. I think people will stop and think... If there's a chance you're going to be fined €500 Euro for not wearing a face covering inside in the supermarket, I think people will smartly start to remember their face coverings are if you decide to breach the travel restriction just because you want to go off on a jolly. I think the thought of getting a €500 Euro fine at a guard the checkpoint might make you stop and think about how far is five kilometres from your home. Now, it's expected the new rules won't be voted into law until next week, even though Level 5 does kick in from midnight tonight. The new system of fines has been debated by the Cabinet this morning with the view to giving Angarda Siakona these new powers to police the restrictions. The new legislation will be published later uh, today and once enacted, the Gardaí then will have the legal authority to call to a house or other indoor venue and ask those present to disperse. Basically say, get out, leave, 
this party is over. If they refuse to comply with the Garda request to leave the gathering, then those living in the house will automatically be given a fine. Under the new law, it will be presumed that the occupier is the organiser. Now, unless it can be proved uh, otherwise, but it's going to the responsibility is going to fall on the occupier of the uh, house. They then will be issued with a fixed charge notice. Gardaí then will also have the power to issue fines to those who are suspected of seeking to attend a house party. So if the Gardaí stop somebody and they have a slab of beer on their shoulder and they've got wind that there's a house party down the road or there's a house party somewhere in the vicinity. If the Gardaí think that that's where you are heading to, then they can firstly direct you to leave the area and if you refuse to leave, then the Gardaí can issue with an automatic fine. So it is, they're not going straight to enforcement. They're definitely going to the encouraging education bit first. They will say to people, you know, this is a house party. This is an unofficial house party. Please leave. And if everybody leaves, that's it. They'll get a bit of a ticking off, a bit of a telling off and you'll be gone. Nobody, nobody will be fined. But what will happen with these laws is if the people refuse to leave, that's when the fines will kick in. And we know that the Garda Commissioner, Drew Harris, had previously said that the Garda Shia Kona, they that they didn't need more powers to enforce the government regulations and they would prefer, they've always said they would prefer to police by consent. But Helen McEntee said Gardaí will first engage with people before actually issuing the fine. Pascal Donoghue said the legislation is aimed at clamping down on what is, as that text just said before, a small number of people who are holding these parties and who are breaching the government rules. So that's the question we're asking people today. Is this a step in the right direction? Are the government right to be given the Gardaí these powers? We know that the Gardaí have been doing their best to go around to people's houses to try to to stop parties. And we know that they have broken up some uh, parties. But you think this is a step in the right direction that by actually having the threat of fines in place that it will make people stop and think about either organising a party or going to a party and it'll make people stop and think about the face covering and about travelling outside the 5k or do you think it's a step too far? Would you be with Drew Harris and others? I mean I'm I'm assuming some members of Angarda Shikona will be happy about the fines but there are some Garda Shikona who prefer no they prefer to police by consent and they still will be able to do that but I suppose they'll have these powers now in their Back, back pocket that they will be able to issue fines. Find. So your thoughts welcomed on that. A step in the right direction. It is right to give the guard the, the new fines. They should have been allowed to fine people before. Are, are you with the group who certainly are calling for people's civil liberties and say that this really is a step too far? Your thoughts welcomed. 1850 333 103. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Your thoughts coming in on the Gardaí to be given the new powers and they can find people now for holding house parties they can find people who refuse to wear a, f- a face covering in an enclosed area or they can find people who go outside the five kilometre rule travel restriction from your, per- your person's home unless it is for an essential reason. Ian and Clonacilty says I think they need to go even further. If I went into a shop with a loaded gun I'd be arrested. If I go into a shop not wearing a mask nothing happens unless the shop owner and the shop workers get involved so I feel they need to be even stricter says Ian in uh, Clonacilty even though I think very few people at this stage Ian go into supermarkets and shops without a face mask and if they do they stand out now like an absolute uh, sore thumb. 
Um, another listener says, where's the other one that says they've gone too far? John says, I think the fines are a step too far. It almost feels like we're living in a dictatorship. This is the government's own fault. Level five is too much, says John. Are they going to fine a person if you walk into a shop and you forget your mask? A lot of people do that, but when they realise they've forgotten their mask, you usually go back and get it. House parties will just go now into more isolated places. They'll go underground, but they will continue. No, Oh, and I don't think if somebody walks into a shop and we've all done that I call it the walk of shame I'll walk I'll get out of the car and I walk as far as the I get to the door of the shop and I either see somebody coming against me wearing a mask or I'll see the sign I love the businesses and most of the business now have big signs up saying please wear, wear your mask I have to walk back to the car because I keep my clean masks inside in the glove compartment of my car and I have to go back to the car uh, to get my mask so no I don't think anyone's going to be fined if they forget I think What they're trying to get, they're trying to aim all of these new powers and these new fines. They're trying to aim it at the people who deliberately have decided they're not going to wear a mask and they don't care if they infect other people or not. They're trying to get at the people who are organising the house parties. They're trying to get at the people who are deliberately going to breach the travel restrictions and who really don't care. They really are aimed at the minority rather than the majority but the fines have to be put in place. The Gardaí need that extra bit of enforcement in order to get through to that minority. So John, no, I don't think if you pop into a shop and you forget the mask and suddenly realise and you're walking back out to get it that you're going to meet a guard at the door who is going to fine you. And for people who are asking our golf clubs opened we couldn't we were looking down through you know all the lists and we went under like exercise and sporting activities is is what we imagine a game of golf falls uh, under and we golf certainly isn't mentioned they, they all they say is that training activities should be individual only no exercise no dan- dance classes are permitted and obviously professional elite sports in the intercounty Gaelic games and the horse racing and the greyhound racing could go ahead but there was absolutely no mention of golf so we rang a local golf club and they are awaiting confirmation with regard to this whether people can play golf or not so individual golf clubs are waiting clarification there's just so much confusion and I know in fairness to the government they're trying to do their best and they're putting as much detail as they can online but every time they put detail up there's another question that gets added on to it. Let me look at some of your questions that are coming in. Hi Patricia, can you do your weekly shopping if it's more than five kilometres away and you can't afford to shop local? Well, if you get stopped by a member of Angarda Siakona and they're going to ask you where you live and then you're going to say you're going shopping and they'll probably point out that there's a shop closer to you at home, I would suggest that you have that conversation with the member of Angarda Siakona. Some may say, drive on and go to the store. Others may say, no, you need to go back to your local stores. And the last time, that was very much, it depended on the member of Angarda Siakona that you met. Some people were fine about saying, yeah, go on to the next town if you want to do your shopping there. But we did hear of others. I remember hearing, certainly in a North Cork town, somebody left to go to a different town because they want a different variety of stores and they were certainly sent back. So it's going to be, it depends on if you meet a member of Angarda Siakona and their views on that particular issue. But I think, I think yes, you could actually absolutely say I prefer to go to another shop because I can't afford 
the prices that have been charged in a local store. John says driving tests, lessons, theory t- tests, NDLS, are they continuing during lockdown? We're awaiting the RSA for confirmation because I think the RSA themselves are a little bit unsure. But we did hear today that people who are due to go to the driving licence centre tomorrow, Thursday, after lockdown kicks in, they've already got phone calls to say that they are to turn up for their uh, appointments. Carol is against the farmer's markets remaining opened during lockdown, which we've confirmed they are allowed once they're primarily serving food. Carol says, where is the logic there? Farmer's markets should be closed as the whole experience of lockdown is to stop gatherings of people indoors and outdoors. Crowds gather at these markets, plus everyone is only meant to go beyond five kilometres for essential services. Carol feels this particular lockdown is a bit of a joke. She wants it to be stricter. Denise says if the Gardaí stop people heading to a party and then turn them away but they later are found their way making they get back into the house party you know they, they head off the guard they leave and then they go back and they go into the house party is that regarded as a refusal? I would imagine it is. I certainly would imagine it is. Uh, thanks for that, uh, Denise. Uh, good morning, Patricia. For those of us who still live by miles, what is five kilometres in our language, please? Five kilometres is equivalent to just over three miles. It's 3.1 miles. So just over three miles if you're trying to work out how far you could go from an exercise uh, point of view. And Eileen says, Patricia, can you tell me are the clocks changing this Saturday night or this Saturday or not stay safe and stay safe yourself Eileen yes the clocks are going back it's we fall back so you'll get an extra hour in bed so when you go to bed on Saturday night just put all your clocks back uh, for Saturday into Sunday morning there was the push to try to stop them going back but nothing became of that 1850 John Paul and Sadie taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103. Now, yesterday, while people were coming to terms with the news that the entire country is moving to level five restrictions, some businesses and homeowners were facing yet another flood event. West Cork Social Democrat Deputy Holly Kearns feels enough is enough and something must be done to accelerate the promised flood relief schemes in her her area and Deputy Holly Kearns joins me. Good morning to Holly. Good morning Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. Now were many businesses and homes affected by yesterday's floods? There was and like as you know West Cork has suffered so much in the way of flooding and we haven't even reached the, the winter storm season yet so obviously we had loads of visitors from ministers uh, during the last flooding and I've been keeping the pressure on ministers and the OPW to act um, because flooding is so concerning at the best of times, not to mention in the midst of one of the hardest years for families and business. Um, you know, Bantry, Bandon, Skibbereen, Ross Carberry, almost all of West Cork have been affected. So at this point, it's just imperative that they're supported and that immediately action is taken to address the underlying issues. But these will take time. Like, for example, in Bantry, which flooded again yesterday, we know works on the culvert won't commence until 2023 and the works on the flood relief won't commence until 2027. So there's an immediate need for government, the OPW and the council to work with communities in developing new and urgent, more short-term flood management systems. And we can't expect people to just wait until 2023 and 2027. So in the case of the flood in Bantry in August, it was a capacity issue with the culvert. The work's been commencing that for ages and has been highlighted by locals for years. So we need things like 
um, flood doors to be provided for all the homes and businesses who have to live at risk of flooding constantly. Um, and the state should also provide insurance because, as you know, Patricia, so many people can't get insurance. Um, and the OPW and the council also need to share the information with people because things like um, there was the flooding in Bandon back in August and due, due to failures in the defences, over 30 million was spent on barriers there. So serious questions remain unanswered and we need to see those reports and families and businesses deserve to give them too and they need guarantees that it won't happen again and if it will they need to be able to access insurance you know many people can't get insurance it's seen as an act of God but when there's 30 million gone into a flood relief scheme that isn't working I don't think that that's an act of God and then of course you know I think it's important to mention that the elephant in the room with all of this is climate change and we know that there's more in the way of unpredictable weather on the way and we can't keep resisting climate action when there's just so much at stake for people's lives. Yeah, and we can't just keep ignoring it. I mean, I just, I couldn't believe yesterday morning when I woke up and I, and I was hearing about, yes. uh, when I came into work and I was getting the list of the different areas in West Cork that had flooded again. I mean, it was only back a couple of months ago in August that some of these areas uh, flooded. And I saw um, the paper today, the chairman of Bantry's Business Association, Dermot Murphy, Talking about what you're mentioning, you know, that it, the flood relief is scheduled for, for 2027. He said, will it be like Venice uh, by, you know, if, if it keeps going? It's, 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 these people are just fed up of the promises, aren't they, of all of the flood relief schemes? Absolutely. Like, you know, when, when these events happen, there's a, a big flurry around and everybody comes to visit the, the damaged businesses and whatever. But when they leave, businesses are just left with that damaged properties, damaged stock. Um, you know, facing closure again now due to COVID, having just reopened after the last lockdown, coming into the winter, like, how are businesses supposed to get through this? And homes. You know, and then when you add on to that that you can't even get insurance, it's just, it's so, so hard. And, you know, we've seen so much in the way of supports coming into different sectors with with this budget because it's an unusual budget and borrowing is so cheap. And I think, like, targeted support needs to be put into these areas because it is through no fault of their own. If you take that instance in Skibreen, because a grate hadn't been cleared and there was still a temporary grate in place, businesses are still paying the price for that mistake. Yeah. Through no fault of their own. But, like, you know, obviously these projects take a long time and that's, again, it's very little consolation, for example, for people in Bantry who have been shouting about the need for culvert work for over 10 years. Well, and I think I think you're hitting the nail on the head as well. Local people need to be listened to. These are, in many cases, these are people who've grown up in an area. They know they have the solutions. Yes, and it's a constant mistake um, that government, central, and local make is not carrying out proper consultation with communities. That knowledge is invaluable. Um, nobody knows the area better than the people who live there and work there and experience it. Um, and we see that time and time again, even um, in relation to the, the fisheries court case the other day, the whole legislation was overturned due to a technical issue, which was as a result of not consulting with communities. We saw it with the forestry bill, instead of dealing with the appeals, um, the government try and, and take away the consultation process with the community and, and taking away community engagement. That is just bad policy making. You know, public engagement is so, so important. And, it, you know, everyone wants to feel a part of their the decision-making that's going on and then they can get behind it. That's, that's so, so important. And you're dead right. It's, it's not carried out enough, unfortunately. OK, and then they're cleaning up the mess and they've their last, for some of those businesses, last day until they go into uh, level five lockdown at midnight uh, tonight. How are you feeling about the country moving into level five? 
it's a really hard time and we just spoke about some of the businesses there but there was also um I think it's important to mention there was some confusion with the exact guidelines around bubbles yesterday. I think bubbles is a really I'm, I was really glad to see this come in. Um so initially the gov.ie website there was specific circumstances whereby you could bubble. Um but yesterday the Taoiseach clarified that just living alone is one of them and I think that's so welcome because mental health is so important. I'm glad we haven't gone back to a blanket rule of, you know, the over 70s cocooning. Yeah. That was really challenging for so many reasons, things like not seeing grandchildren, social isolation. The list goes on, but in reality, we all know that we can't have blanket rules. That, like, these people over 70 are far healthier than me. Um, and we just have to learn from mistakes of the last lockdown because we know now, and we knew before as well, but now we know we've, you know, an evidence based shows the most vulnerable people in our society were the most affected. Um, and older people and people with disabilities are the ones that come to the, to the front of my mind in that situation. But this bubble does allow for um, anybody to form a support bubble with another household if you live alone. Yeah, and so, ideally somebody that lives close enough uh, to you. And I mean, I, and I know it's been taken from other countries. It worked really successfully in, in New Zealand. Yeah. And I think, you know, another thing in relation to the, the new guidelines, um, I would, I think it's, it's really important to note that like that, the, the most vulnerable people in our society were the most affected the last time. I think it's fair to say that the group that were most profoundly impacted by the pandemic is people with disabilities. And that's on top of already existing issues. Um, and now COVID and the government's response, you know, it, it really added more challenges. Things like day services being closed for months. In many cases, some are still closed. It led to a lot of regression and a lack of access to therapies, isolation um, and distress for people as well as like additional hardship and lack of respite for families and carers that had a really far reaching impact impact. And like before COVID, people with disability with disabilities experienced the highest rates of discrimination um, and poverty than people without disabilities. And we know that that discrimination is more likely to occur, it's it's going to be more serious um, and and, you know, it's an issue of raised over and over again is also this, this shameful lack of appropriate housing. Um, you know, successive governments have failed to ensure that that's provided. And ordinarily, this is a breach of people's rights. But during COVID, it actually put people, some of whom have underlying medical conditions, at greater risk of contracting the virus. Um, and it's not a symptom of the pandemic. It's poor policy decisions and priorities over decades. But we have to learn from the last lockdown and make sure those people who are the most vulnerable in our society are not the most impacted again. Yeah, that's the one thing we can learn from what went wrong in the last lockdown and do it so much better this time. And just very finally, I saw you um, read in the paper this morning that you spoke about an issue that actually we had on the programme on Monday uh, when we were talking about the archives from the mother and baby home commission that, you know, the, the chance this is going to be sealed for 30 years, the most bizarre that it could be sealed for 30 years. Uh, you were speaking uh, about that and, and you believe that the government, and I know you were speaking to Taoiseach Micheál Martin, we've a chance not to repeat the mistakes of the past. We've always seemed to bury the wrongs uh, and the wrongdoings in this country. Let's not do it again this time. That's it. The state continues to treat this kind of as a scandal that needs to be contained rather than a process to provide justice and dignity for survivors and their families. Um, you know, the, for any of the listeners who weren't listening on Monday, I was listening, so it was great to hear it on. But the archives of the Mother and Baby Homes Commission are about to be sealed for 30 years, blocking access to information about disappeared babies 
who are in unmarked graves. Um, you know, I think it's really important to emphasize the seriousness of the, the events that happened in our past and, and in our fairly recent past mm-hmm. as well. We're talking about, um, you know, this commission was actually formed in light of 600 babies being discovered in tomb in unmarked graves and a disused septic tank. Um, you know, we know about all of the institutional abuses that went on. And if you just change the scenario, if this, if these enforced disappearances, uh, human trafficking, like t- children being sold abroad illegally, if that was done by masked gunmen, I think we'd be seeing a different scenario. So these these people are still being denied justice. Um, and I, I did, I mentioned this to the Taoiseach yesterday, and I'll be speaking on it again today with the Minister for Children, but I was saying to the Taoiseach that, like, in terms of not repeating mistakes in the past, he was part of Bertie Hearn's government that brought in a gagging order in relation to a similar report on institutional abuse and order, which really compounded survivors' trauma from institutional abuse. And he admitted afterwards that that was a mistake. And I was asking him to please not repeat the mistakes of the past, because um, there's no closure without justice, and there's no justice if the state continues to protect everyone's interests except survivors. Um, I think the systems of the state have done enough damage and, you know, it's really time to, to stop that. Yeah. And we actually can, you know, it's within our powers. And, the, you know, the debates you'll see unfold today and tomorrow will be about, you know, nitty-gritty aspects of the legislation. And one of the things we were really calling for the Minister Roderick McGovern to do, which I'm really grateful he's agreed to now, is to keep a copy of the archives from this commission because the original plan was just to hand them all over to Tusla and to not keep a copy. And obviously... Like the problem with having those archives over to Tusla is unlike any other European country, Patricia, if you want to access your own information in relation to your adoption in Ireland, it's considered third-party information. Oh, it's bizarre. If you want to find out what your name is, it's considered third-party information to you. Yeah. But these amendments still leave the archives sealed in the Minister's office, meaning the government still doesn't accept that the GDPR rights apply to the archive by the Minister's receipt of it. So... You know, more needs to be done. And at the end of the day, what we need to be saying when we're dealing with anything to do with this, the most horrific abuse, is saying, how do we give the most respect and dignity to survivors of this? And if the survivors are saying, please don't seal those archives for 30 years, I don't understand how the government sees this as the right approach. Okay, and I think, yeah, and I think when when it was being pushed through and legislation has been rushed through, alarm bells started to ring straight away. People are asking, why are we rushing through a piece of legislation? Okay, we'll keep a close eye on the story. Holly, in the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is West Cork, uh, Dáil Deputy for the Social Democrats, Holly Kearns. 1850 333103, John Paul and Sadie taking your calls, text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Cork today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. There have been calls for clarity on the COVID-19 health advice being issued to people entering Ireland by planes and ferries and some queries raised as to who is exactly issuing the advice. Fine Gael North, Cork North Central TD, Colin Burke, joins me to talk about what he says is some confusing advice. Good morning to you, Colin. Good morning. Uh, and, and, and you're welcome. What is the advice that people receive on arriving into Ireland? Well, first of all, they have to fill out um, a locator form, which they uh, you set out your name, address, um, your contact details. Um, then people are getting a text saying you must uh, self-isolate for uh, 14 days. Um, about a day later, you're getting a text 
um, asking you to identify that you're at the address you gave as being your address when you arrived into Ireland. In other words, you know, you set out in a form where you would be staying. And once you text back confirming that you're at that address, you then get a further text setting out the guidelines for being out in the public um, are going to um, are travelling or if you're um, going to shopping centres uh, in other words you must wear a mask and all of that information is given and it's giving a confusing message in the sense that it gives the impression to the person that they can now do this that they can now go out in the general public they can go out um, to shopping centres and they can go out to um, and they can't because they've, they've been no. told they're to self-isolate and you see the, the text that's sent on the second or third day should also contain you must self-isolate for 14 days. That is not contained in the second and third text that they get, which I think is important. And it is giving a mixed message. And I think it's extremely important. And I think it was even further highlighted in the last two days where someone came in from abroad. Uh, they did not self-isolate. And it now has been identified that up to 56 people, they, they were obviously a carrier of COVID. And up to 60, uh, 56 people contracted COVID as a direct result of they not self Of that person not self-isolating. Oh, and, uh, OK. And you say it's not the HSC who's issuing the advice. Well, I wrote to the HSC and in fairness to them, they came back to me. They came back to me later on Friday evening confirming um, that they're not um, involved in, 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 in those texts. Um, they referred me on to the Department of Health. I've written to the Department of Health, to the Department of Transport and Department of Foreign Affairs, both Foreign Affairs, because if you go into the Foreign Affairs website, you'll see that the locator form is there. So I thought that they may be involved in it. So, I, you know, I'm still looking for the clarification. Both Transport and Foreign Affairs are saying they're not. I think it's coming in under health, but I think in fairness to health, they've subcontracted out the work um, to a private contractor, I would imagine, who's sending out the text. And that's the reason why I needed to highlight the issue and to make sure that there's a clear message sent out to everyone coming in from abroad. Um, if you're coming in from abroad, you must self-isolate for 14 days. Uh, you and do they no get any more than the one text saying, can you text us back to confirm you're staying at this address? They get two texts. The, 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 the it's just a text. You can be anywhere getting that text. You could, yes. Yes. Um, and I, I think... Do you not think there's a fatal flaw in that? I do, and I, I think it's important, I think, in fairness to a number of um, politicians from right across the politi political spectrum have raised this, uh, this issue for some time. I have a concern about it. I think it needs to be far stricter. I think we now are facing, you know, we're varying from around 1,000 to 1,200 people a day are now being identified positive. We are working, I know a lot of people are complaining about the six weeks um, moving to level five, but we have to work over the next three weeks to bring that down to between 250 and 300 per day. And then the following three weeks that we would work towards, that's the kind of target of bringing down to under 100 per day. And if, but but if we're continuing to allow people come into this uh, country and, you know, we just have to hope and pray that they will self-isolate, is there not a case that we need to start testing people? If we're going to continue to allow people into this country, we test well, them think, before they arrive. Um, I think the, the issue about the, you know, the, the fastest one you can do, but it's not comprehensive and it's not, it's not, um, 
it doesn't give... Um, it's not 100%. It's not 100%. Yeah. It is the antigen test. And yeah. we, I actually think that we should seriously consider introducing that. Um, it, 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 it's actually quite reasonable to introduce, and I think it's something that we need to do. The other way of dealing with it is, which is in a lot of countries where you test before you leave the country you're coming from. You can't um, board the plane unless you yeah. can show a letter saying in the last yep. 48 hours you got yep. a negative COVID-19 test. That's yeah. right, yeah. and you produce that certificate when you arrive and then you agree to do a further test within seven days after arriving. Yeah. But I still think we need to have the self-isolation for 14 days. I think there should be no confusion. It should be clear. And if you look at, say, for Arbonne's sake, the the problem that we now have in the counties close to the border, there's a lot of people travelling to and from Northern Ireland. Um, I, I, I don't think anyone wants to restrict that. But in fact, as a result of, you know, having two different sets of rules in in the island has caused its own problems. And I think that was the problem as well. I remember being at a meeting in Cork City with publicans who wanted pubs to reopen and they were, you know, looking for all the airports to be closed down in Ireland. But the problem was that at that time, people were coming in from 55 different destinations into Belfast Airport and travelling down to the south. So even if we close down the airports in Cork, Dublin... uh, They can still come in through Belfast. They they still can come in through Belfast and now the airports, in fairness, have suffered a huge loss as well and I think that's another challenge that we have to to deal with as well. And, uh, you know, their business is down by 95%. So there's a lot of challenges there and there's a lot of difficulties that we have to deal with. I think it's important in looking at this thing about COVID about to remember the healthcare staff who are working so hard um, to provide uh, the best possible healthcare for everyone, no matter what the illness is. And I think it's important that we do comply with the rules and the guidelines over the next six weeks okay, because but do, that's but, the only way of dealing with this issue. But don't give confusing advice uh, to people. We have to leave it there, okay. columnist, and thank you for that. Thank you, And uh, thanks uh, for joining us on the programme. That is uh, Fine Gael, Cork North Central uh, TD, Colin Bark. Actually, after News 11, we're going to be speaking with somebody who's just back, who travelled from overseas, and uh, she talks about how different it was, the different airlines coming through different countries, how different it was to arriving here in this country. 1850-333-103. John Paul and Sadie take your calls, text or WhatsApp 0862 103 You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103. We've been talking about people travelling, uh, coming into this country and Colin Burke is worried that some advice, uh, that they just need clarity on some of the advice that they're getting once they arrive in this country because people are told when they arrive that they need to self-isolate for two weeks. Well, a listener says, I was listening to another radio show on Monday and a man said he was asked on Patrick Street in Cork by Americans. They were looking for directions to UCC. He got into conversation with them and he asked them when have they arrived and they said, oh, we arrived in Ireland on Saturday and they certainly were not self-isolating. Mara is in Baltimore and she's just back from overseas from a journey from Dubai. Uh, good morning to Mara. Good morning. And I'm assuming you're self-isolating? I am. For the next 14 days. Good on you. But you're raising an interesting point about your journey from Dubai to Cork. Talk me through that journey and what you had to do in order to get on individual planes. 
So in Dubai, before I could even get on my Emirates flight uh, that was bound to London, uh, I had to have a, a negative COVID test within 48 hours. So I couldn't even get on a plane without a, a negative test. And also, before I could get on the plane, I had to have contact tracing um, on my phone app uh, uh so that they in the UK, so they knew where I was going and who I was and all of that. So before I could even get on a flight, I had to present all of this. So then and you arrived in London. When I arrived in London, you know, you have to go through immigration there as well. And at immigration, they wanted to see and verify that I did have the uh, contact tracing on my phone, which I again showed them, and no problem. So waiting around for my flight to Cork and um, had no idea that I had to have contact tracing done uh, until I was literally on the plane going to Cork. And uh, after my experience in both, you know, London uh, and uh, Dubai, it seemed like the airline should be a little bit more involved in saying, okay, you have to have this form to even get on the plane uh, to Cork or to Ireland. Uh, so anyway, uh, arrived in Cork, loads of forms available, not a problem. People were there talking you through it if you needed to and going through immigration it, you could. You were not allowed in without showing that you had contact tracing already filled out on your form and that you understood, the man asked me, you now have to self-isolate for two weeks. Do you understand that? And I, of course, yes. So my experience is very different. <laughs> okay. And then, so, so you gave the address of where you would be in Baltimore yes. for the next 14 yes. days. Have yes. you since been, you arrived on Saturday, was it? Yes. So have yes. you, have you, and um, we are at Wednesday, have you been contacted since? I have. So um, on Sunday, I got a text message saying, you know, you need to self-isolate and please stay there uh, and giving me other information. If I, you know, if I feel sick, go to, you know, get a COVID test or call my doctor. And then yesterday I got a text message that made me reply saying that I was still at same address um, and uh, I am of course and uh, so it, it, they are checking I okay. expect phone I expect phone calls you yeah okay and we will check in with you over the next 14 days to see what happens next because we're led to believe Mara that you won't get a phone call we're also okay. led to believe that you'll get a text message saying if you're heading to the supermarket you need to wear a mask if you're going on public transport you need to wear face covering and that's the where the confusing messages are coming yeah. in and that's where some people may start to make mistakes even though you know you clearly know you must have I said for four 14 days. But if you suddenly get a text saying, or if you're popping to the supermarket, wear a face mask, some people <laughs> might take that as, oh, it's okay to go to the supermarket. Yeah, no way. In fact, I have my food delivered. So well done. No, well done. You know, but do you, do you, would you have preferred to have been asked for your COVID testing before you got on the plane for Cork? Oh, why not? Yes, yeah. absolutely. I had it available, you know, uh, and I. But it's an expensive proposition. 
So let's just face that. You know, it's expensive to do that. And, you know, I don't know that people can afford it um, or the governments can afford it. So, Did you pay for the, the test to allow you on the plane in Dubai for Emirates? Did you pay for that test yourself? Uh, my company paid Your company for it. Your company did, okay. Uh, but when I arrived in the Emirates, I had to have a COVID test immediately and the government paid for that. So it's very interesting. They have money, though. <laughs> they do indeed. And how long were you in Dubai? Um, over a month. And what's what's the situation with COVID in Dubai? Um, it, it's um, it's pretty under control, but it is the stores are open. They were locked down for a very very long time, um, but now it's better. Um, but people wear masks. You have to wear masks, so you get fined. Outside and, and inside. Yes, outside, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Whereas we're only inside here. There's a lot of people saying that they would like to see it um, outside as well. So, and is Baltimore home to you, Mara? It is. It is. It okay. is. It is. All right. It's so no, no more plans to travel? Gosh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and come here, tell us, was the tra- what was the travel experience like in a world where a pandemic is going on? What were the airports like? What was the plane like? Yeah, you know, actually, uh, it's, very quiet in the airports, uh, lots less traffic. People are very conscientious about getting on planes and staying well back, you know, allowing people space, um, particularly, I noticed, on Aer Lingus. I've never seen such courteous people waiting patiently to get off the plane, allowing distance. Uh, but the airports are empty uh, still. And were the planes half empty? Uh, they were. Yeah. They were, definitely, definitely. So nobody sitting beside you and... No, no, no not even close. Yeah, you could, mm-hmm. you could stretch out and all of that, which is great on a long-haul flight. OK, we, if you don't mind, we'll check in with you over the next 14 days just to see how you're getting on. And are you on your own in Baltimore? Have you anybody with you? Oh, I have a husband. Well, you do, okay. He's looking <laughs> after you well. Okay. All right, we'll check in with you. We'll just be really interested to see, do you get any phone calls and do you get any further text messages? Listen, yeah. um, thanks a million for contacting us and stay safe. Thank you. Take, Bye. take care. Bye. Bye-bye. 1850 uh, And there's somebody who's doing everything right. So well done to Mara. Some of your texts coming in. Heidi says, Patricia, I'd like to put this question out there. And it's a who question. Who are the ones who are going to pay for this COVID-19, this entire pandemic in this country and all the lockdowns in the end? The government are doing huge amount of bar- borrowings. Then it will be people saving and the young guys and gals through their PAYE and their taxes who will ultimately have to pay and it will be they will be paying anyone that's going out to work in future years will pay there will always be people who can't get a job and then of course there are the people who feel that the world owes them this is a whole worldwide problem and it is the workers who will end up having to contend with it and picking up the tab it's sad how some humans behave I do hope the government here puts huge effort into getting apprenticeships off the ground to help the young when this Covid is gone please God says uh, Heidi and we are looking at with the amount of people that will go on COVID payments from midnight tonight is going to add an extra two billion. I think I read onto our budget deficit for this year. 
Uh, we do know that this is the best time to borrow money because there isn't huge interest rates. But you're right, it's going to be for many, many years to come, we'll be paying back for this pandemic. But I think a proportion of it will go into very, very long-term bonds. Take, for example, and I only heard about this at the weekend, there was a bond that the UK government paid back in 20. 2017 and it was a bond they owed from the First World War. Borrowings that they'd done after the First World War and it only got paid back in 2017. So some of the money borrowed will go into very, very long term bonds. There will obviously be interest rate on those bonds but it won't get paid back perhaps even for 100 years. And obviously if you're paying back money that was borrowed 100 years later, you're paying back a fraction of what it's actually worth today. But you're right. There will be, will there be some tough budgets to come? Yeah, I, I certainly think there will be. 1850 Mary says, Hi Patricia, hope you're well today. I am, thank you very much. One legislation that annoys me uh, the most is the one for exercising and you're only allowed to exercise, you can't exercise beyond a 5k limit of your home. Well, I go for a daily Long walk. I'm living in the middle of nowhere. The only thing I meet on my walk are a few cows at a farmer's gate. I think rural Ireland should be taken into consideration when these rules are made. I will, by the way, I will abide by the 5k rule as I've never broken any rules in my life. But I think it's unfair. Uh, stay well and stay well yourself, uh, Mary. And like, I know they're saying to us stay within five kilometres and it's just to try to limit everybody moving around and driving around and walking around and, and running around, etc. If you go slightly over the 5k, I don't think there's going to be a member of Garda Siakona jumping out from behind a bush and uh, saying, oh, I'm going to fine you because you're beyond the fi- 5k. But I think we all just need to, and while it does seem very silly, Mary, that you're in rural areas to say the chances of you meeting anyone, even if you went as far as 10 kilometres, you're not going to meet anyone where you could pass COVID onto or where you could pick up COVID uh, from. But I think it's, it's, a lot of this is personal choices and personal decisions and people will be like you, Mary, well done, who will stick to the letter of the law. You'll work out exactly where five kilometres from your home is and you'll go no further than, than that. And I commend you for that. And you're one of the reasons why this country is so good and you're one of the reasons why we will beat coronavirus. But unfortunately, these rules and these tough regulations and restrictions have to be put in place because we've got the the minority, the Egypts, the ones who just don't even believe that COVID-19 exists and therefore legislation has to be put in place for them and the majority suffer because of the minority. But stay safe and keep going on those walks because certainly they're good for you both physically and mentally. Hi Patricia, just wondering at the local garden centres, are they closing for midnight? As far as we know, they are. But again, with a lot of these stores, I say to people, check in with your own local garden garden centre just to check because I know the last time a garden, garden centres that were attached to hardware stores that were allowed to open were allowed to sell items. But garden centres on their own they're certainly not covered in the list of retail outlets that can open. Somebody else is saying, are physiotherapists uh, open? The sister feels they should be closed as they're in very close uh, contact. They're medical though. Somebody's saying they're the same as hairdressers. They're very different to hairdressers. Physiotherapists are open, but you need again to check in with individual physiotherapists because some physiotherapists themselves may decide uh, to close, but they certainly are covered and they are allowed to open. But I take it they're not doing walk-ins that you're going to need to uh, make your appointment and 
don't just turn up on the spot. It's going to be the same for a lot of businesses like that and the way it has been really uh, for quite uh, some time. Uh, Meg, when we're talking about the fines and the legislation that are coming in, why they, why don't they go after the anti-mask brigade? They're the crowd who are protesting. They're a very obvious group, says Meg. Hi Patricia, could you get some clarity for me please on the following uh, question. I have one of the disability parking badges on my car. It's for my child with a disability. I'm wondering, am I okay to travel outside of the five kilometres in order to take my child with a disability for a drive? Thanking you. Because the last time I know children with autism certainly found it, ver- families found it very difficult to keep children when, during the lockdown and they had a special dispensation to allow them if they needed to travel further than the five kilometre, the two kilometre route, whatever it was. So what we did was when that text came in, we got on to Deputy Michael Moynihan, of course, he's the chair of the Oireachtas Committee on Disability and we've put that point to him and he has immediately got on to the department and he's waiting for an official response and as soon as the department get back to him, he will let us know. So hold tough on that. Certainly the last time people, families who had a child with a disability that just the child couldn't be cooped up and the whole family was getting affected about it, they certainly were allowed to travel and I think a lot of of the families travelled with maybe a letter from their school or from their service provider to say that they had permission to travel outside of the five kilometre zone. So hang in there and we'll get an answer for you on that, Mary. And Darmanway says, I live in a rural area. Our neighbour held a kids in brackets and adults play date last weekend. Our lane is quiet. So it was pretty obvious where all the extra cars were going. We were tempted to ring the Gardaí, but well, we gave them the benefit of the, do- of the do- doubt. But we're giving them the benefit of the doubt this time. And Mary's message is, grow up, people. Lives are at risk. It's only for the next six weeks. Somebody asked, can you travel more than five kilometres for sports training? Thanking you. Yes, you can. You can go outside your five kilometre if it's an essential journey. You've got a purpose where you're going. And if you're going for sports training and your sports training is covered, then yes, you are allowed. Eileen says, hi, I'm not clear about this 5K only exercising five kilometre walk from my house. Can I walk five kilometre distance from my home and back again? So you'll be doing 10 kilometres. Absolutely, Eileen. Absolutely. And again, nobody, if you go slightly over the five kilometres, they're not, nobody's going to pounce out on top of you. But yes, if it's a 10 kilometre walk, you want to go on and you want to be like Mary, who's sticking religiously to the law, mark out where five kilometres take you and then turn around and walk back and a 10 kilometre walk that'll keep you nice and fit. And another, a a different Eileen says, Patricia, could you call out that the Bantry Care for the aged charity shop will be closing during COVID-19 restrictions. We would like to thank all of our loyal customers and all those who have donated to our shop. We will be back, please God. Stay safe, everybody, and do your part to flatten the curve. Well done, Eileen, and hi to all of the gang in the Bantry Care for the aged charity shop their last day trading they'll close as indeed will all charity shops and we say hi to all charity shops and all the fantastic volunteers who work in their charity shops and Eileen is right stay positive we will all be back and please God we'll all be back sooner rather than later because remember they're going to review after four weeks and if we're all doing well after four weeks who knows maybe the six week lockdown will only be a four week lockdown which would certainly be a great news story and hi Patricia says another text so we 
have a bit of a problem here. We live in the countryside. We're about 15 miles away from our nearest town. Now, my husband is a celiac, plus he's also a diabetic. And I have to get, obviously, specialist food for him. We don't have any family members living near us. So we rely on our neighbours. During the last lockdown, our neighbours were absolutely great and they were fantastic to help us out. However... We did have a bit of a problem. They didn't quite understand the food requirements for my husband being both celiac and diabetic and we ended up putting a lot of food into the bin. So what do we do now? We will have to get to the shops. What do we do now to get to the shops? We're both over 70. You are quite entitled to get into the car, drive the 15 miles to get to the shop. That's your nearest town for shopping. Remember... The big difference with this lockdown, particularly for people over the age of 70, cocooning. The word cocooning isn't mentioned. People over the age of 70 are just asked to be careful. Be mindful of where you're going. When you need to go to the shops, pick times maybe that are designated for older people. A lot of the supermarkets have been really good about that. And I reckon there's going to be a big push again to have the designated hours for the over 70s and for people that are medically vulnerable. So find out from your local shop what time that shopping period is. It's usually an hour or two, sometimes early in the morning. But pick the quiet times to go shopping. Make sure when you go shopping that you're wearing your mask, you're washing your hands, you're hand sanitising. When you come back from the shop, you're washing your hands, you're packing your shopping away, you're washing your hands again. So they're just saying to people over 70, you don't have to remain indoors. Your exercise, it's only the five kilometres limit of your house and again exercise caution don't go anywhere where there's crowded people if you go somewhere and you're feeling unsafe then move away just move away wait to go back there at another time but you absolutely under these new restrictions there is nothing stopping you with your husband or on your own nothing to stop you heading out shopping and stay safe and look after yourselves 1850 103 C103 Jobs Doors operative wanted for Quartertown Industrial Estate. That's in Mallow, while an office administrator and accounts assistant is required to work one day per week. That's in Ballylanders. A creche manager is wanted to work in childcare in Ballyhas, Mallow, and the Bonsecure Hospital in Cork. They're recruiting a consultant radiologist. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is... C103. Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. Now there was a huge sigh of relief on Monday night when it was confirmed that adult day services for people with disabilities would remain open with the level 5 restrictions for living with COVID when they kick in from midnight tonight. Sean Abbott is Chief Executive with the COPE Foundation and Sean uh, joins me. Good morning to you Sean. Good morning, Patricia. I'm very well and you're welcome uh, to the programme. Now, you support children and adults with intellectual disabilities and children and children and adults with autism across Cork City and a county. Were you fearful that you may have to close before the Taoiseach's announcement on Monday? Well, we were very fearful. Um, you know, we thought we were going to go back to where we were in March and April of this year and that we would have had to close down all of our day services and just have our um, residential services open. Thank God that didn't happen. And um, these services are now deemed to be essential. So we were very happy with that. Because when you you would have closed in March and would have been closed for, when did you start to reopen day services? Oh, it would have been several months later. Um, and then 
you know, people are working very hard then to resume services. And to be honest with us, whilst we have them resumed, they're nowhere near the level we want them to be. Um, there are guidelines and restrictions currently only allow us to bring a certain number of people back um, in the properties we have. So it's no, nowhere near enough, near what people are looking for us to provide. But um, what we're trying to do is keep people safe. And, and we've been successful in that so far. And have you any idea of when you would be back to where you were pre-COVID? Oh, it, I, it's, it's impossible to say, to be honest with us, um, Patricia. Um, it's going to take a lot of a lot of work. It's going to probably require us to um, receive additional funding, and I know that's been is in the process of being done by the HS through the HSE. Um, probably new properties to be accessed. There's a lot of work to be done yet to get to back to full. Um, capacity again um, but in the meantime what we're doing is most people at this stage are getting either one or two days per week um, plus outreach services um, there are some people who get a bit more but um, in general people are getting one to two days a week of face to face support from Co Foundation at the moment Was it very difficult on uh, families particularly during lockdown Sean? It's horrendous um, you know it's, it's unimaginable for some of the people we support and their families to be you know, isolated, um, separated, because, you know, they are vulnerable and many of their parents are vulnerable in terms of their, you know, older people. Um, so it, it, it's, it's devastating for families, absolutely devastating. And is it fair to say that before we found ourselves in the middle of a pandemic, organisations like yours were already facing a funding shortfall? Oh, definitely. Um, we carried out a service review with the HSE over the last number of years, which was agreed by the HSE, and that um, identified that we're, we're probably about 30 million a year underfunded at the moment to be able to provide the level of service that we want to provide to people. 30 million, um, and that's just one organisation? That's just one organisation. Um, I'm the chair of the National Federation of Voluntary Service Providers as well, um, and we submitted um, uh, documentation to the HSE that says that the annual requirement is about 200 million um, every year just to bring services back up to the levels they need to be at and meet the current demand. But there's, you know, there's a big piece of work to be done in terms of refunding and properly funding services across the country. Um, and, you know, we're, we're part of that project. And, you know, we're very encouraged by the kind of work that Anne Rabbit has been doing and some of the funding she's being able to um, secure for next year will probably help us to, to start that process of building um, a, a kind of different level of capacity, which will help us to meet the demands and meet the needs of people. Well, it's still not going to be enough. I mean, I know, didn't Anne Rabbit, wasn't it 100 million, uh, your That's investment right. in, in, in disabilities in last week's budget? But you know, And while it's really welcome, it's still not enough. Well, it's not enough. But you could you could balance that and uh, uh, in another way then and say you know could you spend a hundred million if you got it tomorrow could, you know if I was asked tomorrow could I get could I spend thirty million each in one year we'd find it very difficult to do that why so we need to pay, because it takes a lot of time to put things in place recruit people and by the time you know you get to halfway through the year you might have some of it done so you might only spend fifteen out of the thirty million next year yeah. but. There's a process that kind of takes time to you know, put new things in place, find people. Um, you know, we're, we're recruiting on a constant basis at the moment and um, I suppose we're not getting much success at the moment and we don't know why that is. 
Um, but we are looking for people to come and work with us. Um, we have positions open to us. And, you know, if, if anybody's out there listening, looking to, to, to work with people with disabilities, please make contact with us and we'll hopefully be able to bring you on board. And then um, when you when we touched on how difficult lockdown was, the first lockdown yeah. was uh, for families, Sean, that's why it's going to be different this time because at least the, uh, the, the current services are going to remain in place. But respite went in March and has never returned. That's, no. That must be, that's really a tricky one for families. They're getting that no break. Yeah, that's a very difficult one. Um, um, that's one of the, the things we're, we're struggling with. Um, but we're, we're trying hard to figure out ways of, of doing that safely. Um, but we're not there yet. And it would be it'll be quite some time, I think, before any of the services are ready to open up for respite. Isn't it fair to say? It looks like it at the moment. Um, and then on top of that, we you know some of the respite services we had to use them as isolation units while during the pandemic, you know, during this time. So if we have somebody who does present with. Um, COVID-19, we have to obviously isolate them from everybody else. But we, you know, those buildings are used for that purpose. Did you manage to keep COVID out of your residential (coughs) centres? Well done. We were were very lucky. Um, We had a number of cases, but nobody became very, very ill. Um, um, Nobody, you know, thank God, nobody passed away. So we were, and I think that's down to the work that people, you know, my colleagues did right across all the residential services in COVID. And the people who transferred to those services from day services and multi-D services, they they were focused on one thing and one thing only, and that was keeping people safe. And thank God they did that. And now we have that challenge all over again for the next six weeks to keep people safe um, with rising you know, cases across the country. It is a challenge, but um, thank God we've been able to, to manage it so far. And I, I'm confident that we will be able to manage going forward. Well done, well done. Because some of your clients would be medically quite would be would be very vulnerable. And then for for clients that are living in the residential centres, I'm assuming like nursing homes, are visits restricted. Visits are restricted as part of new restrictions. There, I suppose visits. What the, I think the term is visits to long stay residential services are prohibited. Yeah. Except on caring, uh, critical, and compassionate grounds. So I think we're trying to take as broad a, a, an interpretation of compassion as we can um, because we are conscious that, you know, the last time some people didn't see their family members for a couple of months. Yeah. That's so hard. we're trying to, to, to interpret compassion in a very broad sense. Um, and something we got a question in and we're trying to get clarity from the department on this but maybe you yeah. might have the answer to it it's a, a family who have a child with a disability um, mm. and this idea of being restricted to five kilometres the child likes to go out in the car and it obviously keeps the child relaxed and calm I don't know if it's yeah. a child on, on the autism spectrum or not do you remember the last time people were with children with a disability were allowed to travel outside of the two kilometre and then the five kilometre yeah. do you know if yeah. that's been mentioned this time I, I, I haven't seen anything specifically in, in any of the documentation or kind of um, information we're getting but I would assume there will be, you know, the Gardaí are very, very reasonable people. Yeah. I think once, you know, and I would suggest if that person contacts their service provider, they will give them a letter, you know, stating that this is the requirement for this child's needs. And the Gardaí will probably accept that. I would imagine. Yeah, because sometimes just going out for a drive can keep somebody calm and get somebody out from being uh, cooped up all the time. Just get that person to contact me and I will provide that letter if it's up.
You're as good. You're as good. All right, listen, uh, Sean, continued... uh, Stay safe to everybody at the Cope Foundation and uh, continue the great work that you're doing there. And thanks a million for joining us on the programme this morning. You're very welcome. Thanks very much, Patricia. Good morning. Bye bye, bye bye. Sean Abbott there, who is Chief Executive with the Cope Foundation. 1850 John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Uh, Pat in Mallow just sent in a text saying, Patricia, would you please send a message to the, what he calls the Tesco tourists. He said, it's not Ikea where people stop browsing when they're in the supermarket. So you go to the supermarket to get what you need, bring your little list with you and stop the browsing. Uh, thanks, Pat. 1850 Now, organisers of the MS Readathon, which is one of the country's longest running fundraisers, are fearful for the success of the event this year. As the Re- Readathon has to move online. To explain more about this year's event, I'm joined by Sally Spearman of Multiple Cirrhosis Ireland. Good morning to you, Sally. Good morning, Patricia. How are you doing? I'm very well. You're welcome to, to the programme. I was I was surprised and then not surprised when I thought about it to read it that it's one of the that it is the, one of the longest running fundraisers in this country. How long has the MS yeah. Readathon been going? Yeah, so thirty this is our thirty third year, Patricia. Wow. Um, yeah, phenomenal. So, you, I mean, I'm sure your listeners, uh, you know, I'm sure they have children, grandchildren who've done it or may even have taken part themselves. I can remember doing it in school a long, long time ago. Um, it was launched by Roald Dahl, actually, all those years ago. Was it? Was it? Yeah, yeah. because I was talking to somebody when I knew I was going to be doing this this interview. I was talking to somebody at the weekend who was, um, she was telling me that her children did it last year and she said she got such a kick out of it because she remembered doing it and she actually said that it instilled her love of books, the very first readathon that came to their school when she did it. And she said suddenly her own children are doing it now and she said there was something lovely about that. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, for a lot of children, it's their first time fundraising as well, you know, so it's their first sort of little taste of altruism, really, you know, so it's it's a really lovely campaign to be, for one, for me to be part of, but for, you know, children and and parents to to take part in each year, you know. So let's Um, take a look at the difference. In previous years, how was the event run? So, look, you know, the last 33 years have been... I suppose you could call it very paper heavy. We would have been sending out registration packs to schools and posters and all sorts of resources. And then literally hundreds of thousands of sponsorship cards go out um, over the years to children. So as you can imagine, you know, um, let's say one child out of one school as an example, um, they get their sponsorship card, they go home. And they go to their nannies to get some, you know, get their sponsorship. They go to their aunties. They go to the cousins down the road. There's a lot of journeys. There's a lot of households involved in one, just one child sponsorship. So even looking at last year, we had ten thousand children take part. That's almost, you know, that's like realistically we had nine on average. Each child had nine sponsors. So that's like. 9,000 journeys. It's a huge, in fact, it's 900, sorry, it's 90,000 journeys. It's yeah. massive. So it's a lot of little hands, grubby little hands and um, dog ears, um, sponsorship cards being carted about the place. So this year, naturally enough, parents aren't going to be as happy with uh, the amount of touch points that we have. So what we decided was do away with that altogether and bring everything online. So we have a fantastic new website 
uh, which we think is going to streamline the whole thing. Well, we, we hope it will. We hope it will. It's, it's a big leap of faith for us this year. It's a step into the unknown, really, isn't it? Totally. Totally, totally, so you totally. want in? So you want? Is it schools or individual children to register online? Well, we want everybody. So uh, traditionally, the readathon, um, you know, the bulk of our our um, participants have come from schools. Uh, we have four hundred and fifty schools take part last year, and that's fantastic. And we, you know, we have schools that do it every year for us, which is which is great. And obviously, we want to encourage them to do it. But we also want to get the schools that you know are less likely to take part. For example secondary school so you know most years it's primary school and I can understand why it, I suppose it's, it's kind of setting up a framework for young children to get into the habit of reading you know to get that habit formed whereas you know the older the older students might not necessarily need that per se but this year what we want to try and do is encourage secondary schools maybe to get involved maybe a different way maybe to set up a reading group or, or a, like a book club within their schools so there's lots of ways that they can get involved too it's, it's not necessarily just you know reading a number of books in return for sponsorship, you know. And mm. um, plus this year, you know, as I say, we're, we're facing, I mean, like the charity sector across the board, we're facing, you know, it's an uphill challenge. MS Ireland are battling a one million euro um, loss of income this year. So, you know, the pressure really is on Readathon this year. You know, we really need to try and kind of close that hole a wee bit. So what we've decided to do as well, um, Patricia, is let the adults in on the action. So um, you can either read as a solo grown-up um, and, you know, challenge yourself to read that book that you never got around to, you know, mm. if you fancied a bit of Homer or, you know, if you, if you just, just, you know, haven't been making the time to pick up a book, this is the, the time to do it, you know, and you can pledge an amount per book that you read or you can go out and, you know, you can ask your, your, your friends and family to, you know, maybe sponsor you per book or, or a flat amount. And then, you know, maybe you want to take part as part of a, you know, a group or, or a team. Maybe, you know, you can't get out to train with your team or you're not down the gym. Um, why not, you know, set up a, a sort of a, a, a team and do it together? And you could either challenge each other, you know, who can raise the most or who can read the most. Um, or you can challenge each other, you know, say go with a work group, you know, kind of count you know, read faster or, you know, can the marketing team do better? Mm. There's lots, lots of different ways that you, you can come at this. But the most important thing is, is that people pledge money to to MS Ireland. Because I assume Readathon is is probably one of your biggest fundraisers every year? It is. Yeah. It's our biggest fundraiser each year. And, it, you know, it, it, it's so loved in the, in, the, in, in sort of the lives of families. Like, you know, we're a very well-established campaign. But, as I said, you know the pressure is on, and and this we just have to we have to make a go. This this has to be our kind of flagship more than ever this year, you know. And a million euro income loss is a staggering mm-hmm. amount of money it's for huge. a charity. I mean, and what's the knock on effect of that, um, so Sally? Look, yeah, look. So MS Ireland. I mean, we're the we're the only organisation that provides support and services and advocacy for um, people living with MS in Ireland. So there, there are nine thousand people. Um, approximately with people uh, with MS in in Ireland, so it just means that you know that's a massive dent to our services. You know, we we, can, we just can't keep them going um, without that income. You know, that's why it's so vital that we get people involved um, oh. in this year's readathon. Okay, so how can people hook up with the MS readathon yeah, this sure. year? So our snazzy new website <laughs> is um, www.msreadathon. 
and it's it's very simple. It's a, it's a lovely registration pro- process, um, and we're all here to help too if anybody gets lost along the way. Okay, listen, we wish you luck uh, with it and uh, stay safe. And thanks a million for joining us on the programme this morning. Thanks so much, Patricia. Good morning Bye-bye. to you. Bye bye. Sally Spearman there from MS Islands. Uh, Frank Intallo wants to know when we're talking about face masks and the possibility of fines being introduced by the Gardaí, he wants to know a shield or a face mask. Uh, a visor, is it okay to wear that or do you have to wear a cloth face mask? Well, it actually, it says face coverings, I'm sure, in the legislation. Face coverings. So, yeah, I mean, I know the, the science is there to say that the face masks, the cloth masks are better. But we know that there are some people because of health reasons or because of suffering from anxiety, for example, that they can't wear a face mask and that they instead prefer to wear visors. So, yeah, it says face covering. So, yes, once you're wearing a visor, they ideally wear a face mask. But if you can't, a visor will do. Uh, 1850-333-103. We're going to take a break. Gardening questions, please, for Peter Dowdell in the next hour. We're going to see some coming coming in. If you've got a question for Peter, get them in to either John Paul and Sadie or you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. <laughs> is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest hits C103 we're looking for your gardening questions, please. Peter Dowdell will join us after half past 12 today, 1850-333-103. And thank you to Joyce's Garden Centre on the Navigation Road in Mallow because so many people are asking about garden centres and will garden centres open? And we can't find in the list of businesses that are allowed to open, we can't find garden centres, even though horticulturists are mentioned, gardeners are certainly mentioned that they can go uh, to work. And Joyce's Garden Centre have messages to say that at the moment they will be open during Level 5 lockdown. They say if, if that does change, they'll operate a pay and collect system and they will update uh, their customers further and they want to thank everyone for their continued support. But as of now, Joyce's Garden Centre is certainly remaining open and that's one of the points I was making earlier. If you have a particular garden centre that you're thinking about and that you regularly use and you think you will want to use during the six week period then check in locally with them because some will operate on a click and collect system where you pay and then go and collect it and others uh, may actually stay open open fully so just check in. Hi uh, Patricia do you know if a chimney sweep is classed as an essential service under level 5 uh, restrictions? I would imagine yeah you would have no problem getting your chimney swept because that's to do with the maintenance of your house and it clearly states that you can have any kind of a tradesman into your house if it's to do with the maintenance of your house so yes I think you will be absolutely fine to get your chimney swept and it is a really good and a sensible thing to do. We've been t- talking about travelling in and out of this country today on the programme and been led to believe that some people who are coming into the country are just getting a little bit of misleading text messages about what they can and can't do. They know they're meant to send five state for 14 days, but then they've been getting a message. Some travellers have been getting messages saying that if you go to the supermarket, you must wear a mask. If you go on public transport, you must wear a mask. And, um, you know, advice on social distancing. And that's confusing to people if they're told you're staying in doors for 14 days. Why suddenly are you getting this message saying if you go to the supermarket, wear a mask? That led Tom in Lombardstown to say when people land into Ireland, what actually happens? I know that they're told to self-isolate 
but are many actually doing that? In other countries, friends of mine have travelled for work reasons. They're quarantined in a hotel for 14 days with security at the hotel. Why are we not doing the same here? That's a very costly procedure and that's certainly how they've got rid of COVID-19 in countries like New Zealand, parts of Asia and in Australia because they make people self-isolate. They have to pay to stay in those quarantined hotels. They are not allowed out and they are regularly tested. They're tested the day they arrive. They're tested again, I think, after day seven and they're tested on day 12 and then finally on day 14, they're allowed to leave. I don't know if this government in effort have ever looked at quarantine hotels or not, but it's a very costly procedure uh, to put in place. To the listener who contacted us earlier because if I can find the text we're wondering, this is a listener say, could you please find out, is there a new timetable for the Cork City bus service with the new restrictions coming in from midnight tonight? Because if there is, they haven't informed us as such. I work in the hospital in the city and I need to get an early bus to and from work. So we checked in with Bus Erin and they say that the public transport will be are required to restrict passenger capacity to 25% of normal levels across all routes for the next six weeks. Bus Aaron say unless you're travelling for essential purposes and obviously our listener is travelling into the city to work in a hospital so that's an essential uh, job so they're saying to people only travel for essential purposes which does include work food and medical purposes government advice is to avoid using public transport for everybody else and they also say please consider if your journey is essential and help us to provide the space for those who need to travel including essential frontline workers so we can't find out anything that there's a change to the timetable. It's just they're going to be limited, the capacity on the buses limited to just 25%. So I would suggest you be at the bus stop early in order to get on the bus to make sure that you get into work on time. And for the people who were wondering, would the social welfare payments and in particular the old age pension, would that return to every two weeks instead of it going back to uh, weekly. We have checked in. I mean, it was only last week the Minister Humphreys announced that the weekly social welfare payments will be kicking back in. Actually, I thought it was this week. It's not. It's actually from next week. It's from under the 2nd of November. But she does say that people who are concerned about collecting the social welfare payment at the post office, there are additional options. You can appoint an agent, for example, if you don't want to go yourself and they can collect the money. And you also have the option to leave your money in the post office and collect it on a fortnightly basis because the period to collect your payment has been extended to either 20 or 90 days depending on the relevant scheme and I know for old age pensioners it's 90 days so you can leave it in the post office and just go in every two weeks if you don't want to go weekly but it's from the 2nd of November so it's from next week that all of the social welfare payments go back to weekly because there was a cohort of people who didn't like getting paid every week and they wanted to be paid weekly. So they certainly are pleased to hear that it's reverting back to weekly because some people like to work from week to week in balancing the money that they have and they prefer the weekly than than the fortnightly. Okay, a couple of your texts coming in to us. Here's one. Hi, Patricia. Would you know, please, if... If somebody doesn't have childcare due to restrictions, must that person still go to work? It's an admin job, so it isn't in healthcare. Okay, firstly, I don't know why you would have childcare issues due to restrictions because all the questions and the childcare workers are all remaining. They're all deemed essential workers as well. What we are told, the advice is 
under level five. Physical attendance at the workplace is only permitted for those providing and they give, there's a huge amount of services that's been added to the list, very different to the last uh, lockdown. It says it doesn't include administrative or other support for such businesses and services unless specified in Section 13 where the job has to be done inside in the office and the physical presence of the worker is required. So what I would suggest you do, it's going to be up to individual businesses, I would suggest that you check in with whoever you work with to say, particularly explain, I don't, I, I don't know why you don't have childcare because of the restrictions, but if you explain that you don't have childcare and that you must work from home and see if you can come up with some deal with your with your actual boss but nobody from what I can gather businesses are advised to get people to work from home but I don't know if there's an actual law that states you must work from home this is what's been advised to Neffet advised to the government and this is what the government is bringing in under level 5 so check in my advice is just check in with your employer Hi Patricia I think shop owners should have somebody checking throughout the shops to make sure that people are keeping their face masks on I was in a supermarket a few days ago and I noticed two people entering wearing masks and as they started shopping they pulled their masks down and then continued shopping and talking to each other I thought this was disgusting and then on reaching the checkout what did they do they pulled back up their masks again I actually felt sick about it all and only for the fact that I was finished my shopping I would have walked out and that signed a very careful Mitchellstown shopper I've said it before and I'll say it again we will please God sooner rather than later get a vaccine for COVID-19 but we will never get a vaccine for ignorance and we'll never get a vaccine for stupidity all you can do is look after yourself and if I saw something like that happening keep a very wide berth. I've heard of other people who would challenge and it's very brave people that would challenge somebody to say what are you doing? Oi, put your mask on. Shops themselves they find it very difficult to go around and start telling people to put masks on. All they can do is advise. It. I remember the beginning when masks came in, we had, for example, RG Daton who represented a lot of people in, in the retail and they said at the time that shop keepers and workers in shops were not there to enforce the rules all they could do is encourage somebody to do it some shopkeepers have been better some shopkeepers have refused to serve somebody who isn't wearing a mask but not every supermarket and shop is actually doing that be a bit different now I think from next week when the legislation is passed and somebody could be fined maybe shop owners might and workers might take a different view and maybe they maybe they will start challenging people but the majority the majority are like yourself the careful Mitchellstown shop and the majority of people are wearing their masks and wearing them correctly Betty says Patricia I look after my grandchildren every day after school am I going to be allowed to do this signed a concerned grandmother Betty you're fine if you are doing childcare not you can travel to the school to pick the children up. There isn't there isn't an issue uh, around that. Once once you are providing child care, uh, you are quite within. It's covered in the rules and regulations that uh, you can you can move outside your five kilometres, for example, as well. That's one of the one of the excuses is probably the wrong one. One of the reasons to travel outside the five kilometre is for care of the elderly are to do childcare so yes you are, you are okay and I know you're, say, you're saying you're a concerned grandparent remember the rules on cocooning are not there the rules for people over 70 very different this time around they're just asking people to be careful and then there's been a couple of texts in about schools I've said this before this is a listener's view the majority of teachers don't want to go back to work why 
do they feel such an entitlement not to teach when young doctors and nurses have to put in exhausting hours and sometimes with no breaks? As usual, teachers are sickening. Not all. I can't put all of them into that category. And we had Helen yesterday defending. She had three children who are teachers and who've worked really, really hard. But there are some, this listener feels, some teachers who just don't want to be back in the classroom. And I know the teaching unions themselves are looking for improved safety after mid-term. And there's a big push now at the moment to make sure that when the children, they'll have their mid-term break from Friday, they'll be off for the week. And then when they go back at the start of November, the teachers want to have additional safety measures in uh, place. Because another texture says the only problem with this new lockdown is the fact that the schools are remaining open. I say this because says this sister I feel that whilst the government are saying the schools are safe there have been reported cases coming out of schools and while these students may not get very sick they can be carriers only last Friday I was in a local supermarket where a group of students were purchasing drinks etc not one of the eight were wearing a mask of any form and these students would then go out to mix with not only fellow students and teachers but also parents and grandparents where is the logic in uh, that uh, and I, I, I go by a school at lunchtime every day and I'm in this and I'm often in the supermarket when they're all piling into the supermarket and I have to say they're all wearing masks. So I suppose it varies from school to school. It varies from groups of teenagers to groups of teenagers. Are they hanging out together without the masks when they're outside the shop? Absolutely. But they're doing what young people do. But just on the point about the number of cases in schools, there was a really good analysis piece in The Times today by Carol O'Brien. And he was making the point that before schools opened, there was like siren voices warning that schools would become vectors for coronavirus infections as soon as they opened up and that all the young people would be super spreaders. But we're now almost two months since the young people went back to school. And the latest official data points a very encouraging picture that schools are actually significantly safer places than the wider community. So far, there's been only 73 outbreaks. Now, an outbreak is where there's two or more in any one school. That's 73 in schools out of 4,000 post-primary and secondary schools. And that's the latest statistics. And that's a very, very low number. And then when you dig a little bit deeper on those numbers, there was a total of 10,513 students and teachers who were mass tested, typically following when there was a positive case detected and there were close contact inside in the school. So they were sent forward for testing. Out of the 10,513 students and teachers who were tested, there was only 246 cases, 246 tested positive. That shows a positive COVID-19 detection rate in schools of 2%. But if you look out in the community, it's 7%. So there's a lot of stats there showing that the schools, that it is actually the right move in keeping the schools open and it is safer to keep the children inside in the schools than have them out in the wider community. And then somebody else says, how in heaven's name does the government hope to limit the virus with all of the big spreaders open, according to this texter? They cite construction. They're also citing schools, which you can't say are one of the big spreaders based on those figures. But they're also closed also quoting factories etc they they can be asymptomatic spreaders in all of these sectors this is not lockdown by a long shot and this listener feels can only serve to fuel the virus can somebody ex- please explain why it won't the virus doesn't care whether we are getting together for work or play it'll spread when people meet and close contact is rife in these sectors also down to the silly mothers and fathers in a huddle outside the school gates chatting away with no masks 
and more taking off their masks to speak. It is pure daft. If we did every second week into and out of proper lockdown, we might have some hope. A week to limit the virus totally and a week to manage the economy or something like that. Plainly, it's a joke what's happening. So there's somebody else. And actually, that person is not on their own. There are We've been constantly getting some texts in, not the majority, but some amount of texts in from people who wish that this lockdown was much more severe. People who feel that we should have a really strict lockdown, a little bit like what we had the last time. Not everyone, but there there are a proportion of people who certainly are feeling that the lockdown should be stricter than what it is. 1850-333-103. Keep your They're All Gardening questions for Peter. Keep those coming. I just want to get to one final text here. Oh, this is to do with cars being parked up during lockdown. For a lot of people, they'll come home today, be it from work or wherever, and they'll park up the car and they mightn't take the car out for the next six weeks. We will have people who will literally decide themselves to cocoon. So this list says, I'd like to highlight a problem both with this lockdown and the previous lockdown. And I would like you to seek information, please, on the taxation of vehicles from the government. As during this lockdown, cars, during the last lockdown, cars didn't move for the full period of the lockdown. Now, insurance companies, we all remember, refunded a percentage of your premium back to people during the period of the lockdown. However, the vehicle taxing system, they never gave any refund or any percentage of the paid tax back to the people. Many people have cocooned for months and the vehicles may not have moved once during all of that period. It's nothing short, I feel, a fraud. The council is acting like loan sharks by penalising the poor as the people that cannot pay a full year's tax and say, and say instead opt to pay three months or six months, they get penalised for no reason as those rates are more expensive. This to me is maddening. I hope you can highlight this on your show and get some uh, answers. Well, if your car is... Yeah, there's no refund. They didn't give any refund on car tax. You're absolutely right on that. But I suppose what you could do is if your car was parked in the driveway for three, six months seven months we're into seven months now can't you go can't you get somebody to go to is that still allowed were you able to go to the guard the station to say but I know you've got to somehow prove that your car hasn't been on the road and therefore when you go to get your car taxed oh no that's when you go to get your car taxed you don't have to pay the back tax on it that won't help this listener but definitely if the car tax ran out and you haven't moved the car it certainly is worth going to the guard the station to see if they can give you some kind of a form which will get you some money off the purchase of your road uh, tax but again as with a, when a lot of these issues come in we will find that a lot of listeners will agree and say that person is so right didn't move my car I think I'm entitled to some of my car tax back the insurance companies certainly the car insurance companies were great are they going to do the same for the six week lockdown I have no way of knowing somebody else was looking for wondering would there be a refund on their health insurance uh, because the person is out of work like they did the last time but all of the health insurance companies gave back a percentage of the premium paid it wasn't because people were out of work they did it because all of the private hospitals were taken over by the HSE and there was no private work going on that was the reason that you got a refund fund on your health insurance. It wasn't the health insurance companies looking after you because you were out of work. Hi Patricia, can one have an anniversary mass in the church during lockdown please and thank you. Um, 
you could ask a priest to say Mass for you in the church, but you wouldn't be able to attend because during the six week lockdown as it has been since we moved into level three all of the churches are closed and all of the services are online but could you contact your priest and ask them to say an anniversary mass and then you could watch it online absolutely but you certainly won't be able to attend in person in the church 1850 333 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council supporting businesses supporting communities serving Cork visit corkcoco.ie Cove GAA are holding their online Zoom bingo. They're going to do it every Saturday night from 8pm. Tickets are available online and you can check out their Facebook page if you'd like more details. If you've been missing the bingo, there's a Zoom bingo for you. Kildallery Community Development, their weekly lotto draw, that's continuing even during lockdown. It'll be in the local community office this Thursday, 4 o'clock in the afternoon with a jackpot of €1,300. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. And can I just clarify for some people, particularly on child-minding issues, the listener who had contacted us to say uh, would she be able to work from home uh, because she will have childcare issues due to the restrictions. She does admin work and she's wondering could she work from home. She's got, and I was wondering why would she have childcare issues because creches and childcare facilities are all remaining open and school is obviously remaining open. But she's got back on to say, sorry, I meant to say it's my parents mind my children the grandparents so that's why I'd be restricted with childcare as I didn't think we were allowed to visit grandparents' houses and then somebody else says Patricia I work in a house looking after four children getting dinners doing the housework the mam works in Cork and the dad works from home I travel seven miles to get there can I still continue to do this under level five? Absolutely it comes under the domestic travel restrictions we're all told to stay at home and only exercise within five kilometres of uh, your home but there are there are lots of reasons why you can travel outside of the five kilometres and one of them obviously is to go to work but one of them is for vital family reasons such as providing care to children to elderly or vulnerable people and particularly for those who live alone but excluding social family visits so when we're, we're, we're when they're saying you can't go visit granny or granddad on the weekend unless you get into the social bubble with granny or granddad then you can but it's it's they, they want people to stop visiting people's homes and having big family get-togethers and even small family get-togethers. But if you are you are going to, in this case, granny and granddad's house because they're looking after the children, that's fine. They are providing the childcare for you. And it's the same for the other lady. That's paid employment. You are travelling the seven kilometres, or the seven miles in your case, to go to that house. It's work. So you are allowed to travel outside the five kilometres if it is for work reasons. Can a plumber or a carpenter be allowed into a private home? Yes, they can. If they're coming in to do any kind of maintenance, they are allowed. And they're all, in fairness, all of those tradesmen have been working away and they're fantastic. They really bring their A game with wearing face masks and all of that. And um, I've heard of... As some plumbers, if they're coming to a house, you know, they ask you to keep, a, you know, they're doing work in the bathroom or in the kitchen. That there's nobody else in that room while they're working and well ventilated and all of that. But yes, tradesmen can come into your house uh, to do uh, to do work. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Hi, Patricia. If people have a 100 percent valid reason 
for not wearing a mask. Why don't they get a letter from the doctor saying why that person can't wear a mask? Surely they could carry the letter in their bag for proof. This is just a suggestion and it is a good suggestion. And we've heard of people who have asked their GPs for letters. We've heard of some GPs and consultants who've given letters, but we've heard of others who've said no, that they won't give a letter. So that's what we're saying to people. If for whatever reason you absolutely can't wear a face mask, then wear the face visor. We know we're told the face visors are not as safe, but certainly it's it's better than nothing. I think we'd one G one doctor on absolutely saying that it certainly is uh, better than nothing. Hi, Patricia. In our local shop in Castletown Roach, they have a sign outside the door, and it says "No mask, no entry." It is really good to see that and more shops should do that as well and I think if you have a big sign like that it does draw attention because I think there are cases and I've done it myself where you forget we're still still getting used to the wearing of the masks and you know I mentioned it earlier how many times have I had to walk back to the car to go to the glove compartment to take the mask out because I completely forget I'm distracted I'm trying to remember what I need inside in the shop so I love that I love going to a shop where there's a very large sign clearly saying you know no mask no entry or please wear, wear your mask before entering I think more and I think more and more businesses are starting to do that as well John says Patricia now appears that the the test and trace scheme is not adequate many people who have contacts of known infections are not turning up for testing travellers coming into this country should be compulsory isolated what price do we have to put on our health and I know one of the things that came out it's the Irish Times I'm sure are writing about it uh, today and that thousands of People who tested positive for COVID-19 over Friday, Saturday and Sunday of last weekend are now going to be receiving a text today. There's between two and two and a half thousand people asking them if they will themselves contact their close contacts and telling them to get in contact with their GP to immediately get a COVID-19 test. It seems that our contact tracers got absolutely overwhelmed this week. There was a huge number tested positive at the weekend. So what they've decided to do, the contact tracers have decided to start working on the people who got a positive diagnosis on Monday and go through the contact tracing with them. But they've decided for anyone who got a positive case for Friday, Saturday and Sunday, and I don't know whether people have started to receive their text message or not, but they've been now, if it was vulnerable people aged over 70 or if they were school children, they'll continue to do the contact tracing for, for them. But for everybody else, they're getting a text message saying that you need to contact everyone that you were in close contact with over, I think it's the previous 48 hours. I think they're sending a template of a text message which you then send on to your close contacts, you know, advising people to restrict their movements and to contact their GP immediately. They say it is a one-off temporary measure that was being implemented and they say they've implemented it in consultation with GPs to ensure that those affected are tested as quickly as possible. But John is right, yeah, our contact, our tracing system just literally got overwhelmed but I suppose they couldn't have predicted the number of people that we're going to test over the weekend and hopefully it is a one-off and never happens again. I can foresee problems within that. I think a lot of people will straight away contact the people that they were in contact with to say, look, I've tested positive. I was with you, you know, for whatever period I worked with you the other day or we went out for a meal together or I visited your house. And I think, you know, a lot of people will do that. But there will be others who mightn't feel comfortable about contacting people to say that they have COVID-19. There's still a little bit of 
stigma is probably too strong a word but for some people it probably is stigma and there shouldn't be any stigma any of us God knows any of us could get it we can all be doing the very best with the hand hygiene and the cough etiquette and the wearing of the mask and keeping social distance but this particular virus is so contagious we can all just hope and pray that none of us get it none of our family members get it but we never know we come at the day come at the hour we never know when any of us could pick it up so nobody needs to be embarrassed unless you did something utterly stupid and silly and went to a big house party or went to went travelling and went to an area that had high COVID I wouldn't have any sympathy for you then but for anybody else who picks it up it's nothing to be ashamed about but I just know there will be some people I think when they get that text message today out of that two and a half thousand people there will be some there will be some who will be slow to pass that message on to everyone they have been in contact with which will be dreadful because they could then go on to allow somebody to have COVID-19 who doesn't realise they have it and who could be then ultimately spreading it on to people and could pass it on to somebody very vulnerable. So hopefully to the two and a half thousand people who are receiving those and may already have got that text message today that they will do the honourable thing and that they will contact everyone who they have been in close contact with to let them know that they need to go forward for COVID testing. 1850-333 It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We're going to take a break and we're back with Peter Dowdell answering your gardening questions. Or today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. And Peter Dowdell, the uh joining us. Uh, good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. And even with the wet weather and the miserable weather, there's still a lot of gardening questions coming in. And a bit of, we're still trying to get a definite yay or nay on this on garden centres. And can garden centres stay open? Well, I certainly am not the man that can give you the definite yay or nay. (laughs) Um, I, I, I suppose, I don't see how they can is the short answer because, I don't know, they're not an essential service. Um, we we all, I suppose, need to do our bit in um, 
you know, in the in making sure this lockdown works, so that we do get, you know, I would say to enjoy Christmas secondary, but that we we save lives and we we stop the health service getting overrun. So I think everybody that isn't essential has to stop. Now, on saying that, I understand construction is going ahead, and I I can fully understand that landscaping should go ahead because that's that's a lower zero risk outdoor pursuit. But any retail that's indoor, I think it's not essential. I know the garden centres won't thank me for saying this, but I think I some of them are, some of them are going to do click and collect, which can which they're allowed. Yeah, well, to absolutely. Do. Absolutely, online and all that. Yeah, there are ways. Okay, let's get straight into questions from listeners. Hi, Patricia, question for Peter, please. My holly tree looks like it's dying. I'm devastated. All the leaves are falling off. Can I feed it? Uh, If so, with what? And what can I feed my Lilandi hedge with as well? Thanking you and stay safe. Okay, Okay. holly tree dying. Yeah, well, I giggled at the second part of the question first because I don't know why you'd want to feed a Leylandy hedge because it should be growing in front of your your eyes. Now, if it's a new Leyland hedge, uh, I would I wouldn't worry about feeding it. I mean, it'll come on and its own. Just make sure it's getting plenty of water, and obviously nature is taking care of that at the moment. Um, I really wouldn't worry too much about feeding the Leyland hedge. Uh, <clears throat> if it's an established one that's suffering or looking hungry, I'd say there's an underlying problem there. I wouldn't I wouldn't think it's a feeding issue. But uh, in terms of the holly, the holly is a bit it's a bit more worrying. There is uh, an infection which is affecting hollies throughout the country for the last number of years. Holly leaf drop, and it's a fungal problem, Trish. And the, the best advice I can give is this. Uh, prune back the holly, okay? Now, you can cut it back. Uh, yeah, you can cut back now, cut back any of the infected growth. Now, it's, it, obviously, you're going to sacrifice any berries that may be on it, but there may be none on it at this stage anyway, uh, and it's for the greater good because you're protecting the plants. So cut, cut it back hard now, making sure you're removing any of the infected growth, any dying stems or dieback, um, which may not be that hard. It depends on how, how severe the infection is at the moment. Um then what you want to try and do, and I hesitate before I say this because I know this isn't always practical, particularly when it's holly, but you want to remove any dead leaves or dead stems or any of the debris from around the base of the plant because the fungal spores are in that dead material and they're just going to get back into the soil and into the root system unless you clean them away. So that's the the second step. The third step then is you treat it with an organic fungicide such as copper sulfate. Mix your copper sulfate with water. Water it on, drench the rest of the plant, the plant that remains and the roots system drench it with a solution of copper sulfate and water and then feed it coming into the spring feed it i'd feed it with one of the nature safe liquid seaweeds feeds that's probably the best to get growth going um and then uh, as i often say cross your fingers and say a prayer to whatever god you believe in and, and hope for the best but i suppose if i've given that advice let's say a hundred times in the last couple of years i would say a good 70 or 80 of them have come back wow so wow that's good it, it probably will we'll take we'll yeah. take that percentage then mike in bantry says hi peter i have winter pansies and cyclamens i have a lot of green in my garden so i've continued by having is it boxes in my window boxes boxes in my yeah, window boxes yeah. would peter agree with that kind of a layout I would absolutely now of course it's hard to say would I agree with it because at the end of the day your own garden is your own space so if you like it then that's that's all that really matters at the end of the day but in terms of garden design and principles of garden design yes you're showing good continuity in the planting there so by by having a lot of greenery and foliage and there's probably some boxes in the garden and continuing that through the through, through the, the containers and window boxes yes absolutely I would I would think that that is a, a good way of doing it and nice to put a bit of colour in there as well isn't it with the, the pansies oh and splashes the of colour yeah it's yeah. Right. You, you can't be you can't beat winter pansies. Okay, Mary has a number of questions. Could I trouble you please to ask Peter the following questions? We have Leylandi trees made into a hedge. It has got quite wide. Would it be possible to cut them in half? And if so, would they survive? If the answer is yes, when would be the best time to do it? 
Okay, I'm guessing when she says in half, she means half in width as opposed to half in height. Uh, and I'm afraid the answer is no, because laylands, and yes, they do get very wide. They can get 12, and, 12 feet and more wide uh, as they mature. They really are beasts. That's why I was saying to the first question, don't worry about feeding it. It'll do fine all on its own. Um, see, if you cut it back by half now, so if you cut the width back by half, you're cutting into brown wood. Now, that brown wood will never regenerate. It will never come back. So you'll be left with a brown hedge. Now, it may not die because the side on the other half, if that, if the other side of it is green, if you understand me, that will keep the, 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 the hedge alive, but it will never green up on the side that you've cut back. So conifers naturally... Uh, have no foliage in their inside because the sunlight doesn't get them. Now that's totally natural. So all the green is on the outside, few inches. But really, that's all you have to play with in terms of pruning. I'm afraid is you need to make sure when they're evergreen like that that when you're pruning it, you need to make sure that you're leaving some bit of green on the the hedge. So don't prune it back too hard. I'm afraid. I know that's not the answer that that you mm. wanted, but it's um it's the right advice. I'm afraid. Okay, so you need to stop and think if you're going to put Leylandi trees in for a hedge then. Yeah, or in this situation, you know, if if the width is killing you and you really need to, you might have to look at removing it and putting in something different. I know Leyland hedges are, you're not allowed to put them in now anyway in urban situations, just because of that, that they're too vigorous. Um, I know certainly in rural situations you're allowed to, to put them in. I mean, they're great in that they do what they what they say. They they form a very, very quick growing, solid, dense evergreen hedge, but you need to be, be careful where you put it. Okay, Mary also says she's got quite a lot of onions in her crop this year that are rotting. Would Peter know the reason why onions would be rotting this year? I don't know the reason why. I mean, obviously you're looking at things that there are fungal rots which will affect onions, obviously, and I suspect... um, it could be to do with the very, I don't know for certain in particular without seeing it because I can't see what's causing it, but a lot of these fungal infections will be caused by the, the excessive rainfall that we had in July and August. We had a very wet couple of months and I'd say that's most likely. Improve the drainage for next year, a bit of crop rotation, so don't grow them in the same place because that fungal infection will still be in the soil. So grow them somewhere else um, and, and good drainage, but I would imagine it's caused by the excessive rain. And Mary is finally looking for your advice, please, on dwarf trees. Can dwarf trees be, can you buy apple trees that are dwarf trees and is now a good time to set them? Yes and yes. So yes, now is a good time. It's a good time to set everything, actually. Autumn is, if you like, nature's time for planting because the soil is still warm. Uh, so it gives plants a chance to get established uh, before the winter sets in properly. And then it means when come the spring, they, they're already semi-established before they start growing. So yes, now is a good time to plant them. Um, and yes, you can get dwarf ones. It, what, what determines the overall height of an apple tree is not actually the variety of the apple, but it, I won't go too far into this, Trish, but it's it's actually the rootstock on which that variety is grafted onto. So the rootstock root will mean that your apple tree is either dwarf, semi-dwarf or, or not dwarf. So that's what you need to keep an eye on. Oh. Okay. Hi. Question for Peter, please. I've got an orchid, but the roots are coming out the bottom of the pot and actually growing upwards. Can I repot it? And if so, in what kind of soil do I use? Okay. Well, orchids, orchids are, are, are a plant that a lot of people think are very high maintenance and difficult. And of course, they're not. They're one of the easiest things in the world to grow. But they do need to be under pressure to flower. So you see these roots and they, they're they actually referred to as the, the roots up at the top of the plant. They're referred to as epiphytic roots as opposed to normal roots. So the roots that are coming out the bottom of the pot, it, it is probably just now nearly breaking the pot at this stage. And that's what it needs to be doing to 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 flower. It needs to be under stress to promote the flowers. So yes, I suppose when they're at the stage of actually coming out through the pot, yeah, it's time to repot it. But you don't want to go, and I discovered this many, many years ago as a small child, 
you don't want to kill it with kindness. So as a small child, I remember one of my mum's orchids and I had it like that. Uh, and, I, and I repotted it into a pot maybe three times as big as what it was in, thinking I was giving it all this lovely new soil and I would love it. But of course, it took years and years and years for it to flower again because it needed to be under. I didn't know that at the time. So when you're repotting an orchid, you really only go up an inch or so in diameter of the pot just to, to get it. You don't worry about getting all the roots into it, as I say. Uh, and you want a very, very open compost. So you want at least 50% in open material, a coarse material, like a mini chipped bark or, and then a bit of grit to keep that compost open and to, to ensure it has good drainage. Um, uh, and really that's it. So just go up about an inch or two in diameter, a very open compost, a mixture of bark, compost and, and grit. Uh, and then off it goes. York will be happy. Out. And they are stunning. They are absolutely stunning. Oh, OK, Jack has a Clematis Montana. He reckons it's about 20 years old. He said it is healthy. He's looking for advice on when is the right time to prune it. Some of the leaves are falling off. It's 10 feet high is now the right time to prune. No, no, it's absolutely actually the wrong, the worst time to prune it because the Montana is one of the spring flowering clematis and one of my favourite of all, actually. It's, you know, you know, it's that that pink one, Trish, that you'd see in kind of April, traditionally on cottage garden walls and things like that. It's really a lovely, lovely, very vigorous grower, but a lovely plant. If you prune it now, you're going to cut off all the growth that's going to have flowers next year. So don't prune it now. Any of the spring flowering clematis, uh, you cut them back directly after flowering they're going to flower on growth produced the previous year which obviously so 2021's flower flowers are going to be growing are produced on on growth produced during 2020 so if you cut off that growth now at the end of 2020 you're going to lose flowers for next year so wait off till it finishes flowering next spring and then straight away you can grow and really you can there there is technical answers i could give you in terms of how to cut it back but really you can hack, hack them back, really go very, very hard on those spring flowering clematis and they'll be fine. OK, somebody else is saying that they've got buds on their Christmas cactus. Is that a bit early? Actually, I was looking, we've got the two Christmas cactus here in the in the canteen in, at work that gets the odd bit of water and that's it. And uh, there's buds <laughs> on it already as well. And I don't know if that's early for this time of year. And you know what? I haven't actually, I have never actually really stopped to think about when they first get buds, but we're towards the end of October. It's probably not that early. I mean, we're only, we're only eight weeks to go. Um, So anyway, whether or which, if they flower before Christmas, enjoy them. They're great. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, listen, have a good week and we'll talk to you next week. And you, Trish. Thanks. Thanks a million. Bye-bye. That is Peter Dowdle, theirishgardener.com. Just a couple of texts in before we go. Hi, Patricia. I'm wondering, are the opticians uh, open? Uh, Yes, but as with all of the, like like the same with the dentists, the doctors and all of that, you need to ring in advance and make your appointment and there'll be mask wearing uh, and everything. So, yeah, you will be able to go to the uh, opticians. And then someone else says, Patricia, I have a court order to see my children every weekend, but with the lockdown coming into effect, does does that mean that I can't see them. They live more than five kilometres away. No, you absolutely will be able to travel and see your children every single weekend like you've been doing and you will continue uh, to do. Uh, actually, if you go if you go on to gov.ie it actually gets mentioned if there's any custody orders or anything like that. You can travel outside your five kilometres. If you get stopped by the guards just tell them what you're doing. There isn't a problem at all about that. They've actually even suggested for custody cases like that if you wanted to go into a social bubble with your former partner you could as well and you could visit each other's uh, homes. Okay, that 
that's where we wrap it up for today. Uh, my thanks to John Paul and to Sadie for taking your calls. A lot of calls, a lot of commentary in uh, today and our apologies if we didn't get to all of your questions and queries. Some of them we're still looking into so that we can get the correct advice because I don't like giving out advice unless we're 100% sure of the advice that we're giving out. So bear with us if you didn't get all your queries answered today. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10. Until then, Patricia Messenger, good afternoon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,